was born so long ago that I was born in Branston and there were no trees. Oh, wow. Not- <laughs> <laughs> then I had lovely school years. I went to Rodin all my life and my mother was a French teacher there. So it figured that when I went to university, I would major in French and English. Anyway, in my first year, I took Italian just as an extra subject, which was very fortuitous because second year English was not my scene at all. You know, Spencer's Fairy Queen and Tours, and I, I'm not even sure that I could understand the Fairy Queen today. Anyway, <laughs> end result. All my chums came down from medical school at half past 12. English lectures were at half past 12. So happily, I landed up majoring in French and Italian. You can guess. (laughs) Then I had a stint at the teacher's training college, and I did come out of there with French and English as my major subject, but landed up at Athlone Boys High teaching Afrikaans to immigrant children, which was (laughs) hilarious because I had to learn it at the same time. (laughs) And I did it through art. Oh, wow, yeah. Which was great. And also at that school they had a wonderful theatre and so I did a couple of productions. Oh, what I forgot to tell you is that I did not want to be a teacher at all. I wanted to be an actress and my parents said no. So strangely, I have landed up in that profession in any event, and I'll tell you why. I went to teach some young kids in Italy how to speak English. Didn't really succeed very well. And then I went to university. I won a fellowship to go to university in France for a year. So I did that and I did brilliantly because I had no distractions. <laughs> I had no friends. Well, I had very few friends. Yes, yeah. So I passed this with flying colours. And then I went back to Italy just to say hello to a couple of friends of mine. And I met a young man in Florence. And he lived in Rome. And he said, when you come to Rome, please come and see me. So planned trip to Rome was four days and I must have stayed there for over two years. And I had a job in a film company translating. Sounds glamorous, but it wasn't really. But the whole film industry and the whole television industry and everything like that does sound glamorous. It's not. It's a lot of hard work. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, at one stage I decided to come back to South Africa for a holiday. I wanted to be here for about six months, and I thought I'd better find a job. And it was just in, I'll let you know, in 1974 when television started. So I thought, well, I'll just answer this ad. I did, and I got a job in television. It took me a while to understand how this television thing worked. But finally I did, and then it grabbed hold of me. We say in the industry it's like having a jealous lover. (laughs) So I was at the SABC for seven years. All of us who were there at the beginning of television just loved it and we're still friends and we had the greatest time ever discovering new things and we were all very friendly with the radio people and all that kind of thing. But at that stage, TV2 
was in town where the old SABC radio studios used to be. And why I'm telling you this is actually that I couldn't take the politics of the SABC at that time. So I left and I went to do a stint with my friend Jane Raffaele, who ran Fair Lady at that time. She was the editor of Fair Lady. And that didn't work. So I went to Edutel, which was the educational arm of Bob TV. And that was absolutely glorious. I was in my milieu, very, very happy. And then, funny enough, started making programs as a freelancer for SABC. And I continued to do that for a long time and mainly educational programs. Then I went to join a company called Independent Film Centre, which was owned by Edgar Bold, and went there, and Carl Fisher. And we were taken over by Endemol. Now, Endemol are the huge company, which was started in Holland, and then it went through to Belgium, and it became a very, very big company. And they were starting to stretch their wings worldwide, and South Africa was one of the first places. So we were taken over by Endemol. And really, at that time, Endemol was running on Isidingo and my educational programs. It took yes. a while for the broadcasters to understand that to buy formats was a much better idea. But happily, Carl Fisher went to head up MNET, and so he was able then to introduce Big Brother. And, of course, from then on, formatted television went crazy. So I was involved with Big Brother. I produced two series of Fear Factor, did All You Need Is Love, and carried on my educational programs. Then my friend from Edutel, Lula Mashakela, said, you know, why don't we start our own company and let's concentrate on educational television, which we did. So that was called LCAT Productions. Then she left to head up the SABC and her husband became my partner. And LCAT Productions ran many series, but the two that were important was one called Shift, which was a daily talk show on SABC One that ran for 15 years. Oh, wow. And It's for Life, which was a charming little education reality show, which also ran for 15 or 16 years. Then I decided, well, things were getting a bit tough with the broadcast and all that kind of thing. And I must say that the SABC have always treated me absolutely brilliantly. You know, there's that thing, oh, did you get paid? Always got paid. Mm -hmm. So you know how some people complain about places, but they don't ever tell the good side. Yeah, yeah. Yes, and then I decided to start what I'm doing now, which is running courses called Confidence, which teach people how to appear like a pro on camera. I've always said for... I'm not going to tell you how many years, but you can work it out. Yes. <laughs> Let me get my I've been professionals <laughs> how to be real people on camera because professionals don't talk like real people. You even have to write your scripts in the way that a normal person would talk. Yeah. You know, you can end with prepositions, which you'd never write like that, would you? <laughs> um and R's and all that sort of thing. So... Having spent all these years teaching 
professionals how to be real, to come across as real and to come across as genuine. I'm now doing the other way round, which is teaching real people how to be somewhat professional. And Megan, I say somewhat professional because the key to being on a video is to be yourself. It's to be real. It's to talk the way you talk. It's to be conversational instead of, you know, fake and stiff. One of the secrets is to look at the lens of your camera, of your video camera, and look through it and talk to somebody you absolutely love and adore or admire very much on the other end. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't matter. Nobody needs to know who it is. You just have it in your own head, yes. who is that person. And that's one of the biggest secrets because then like that, you will be conversational. Yeah. And I said, don't, don't worry. Listen to me, I make lots of mistakes. Don't worry if you make mistakes. We're being real. Yeah. Rather than stiff and formal and all that kind of thing. Then the other thing that I do is I'm a life coach. So it's really Cool, because I combine my television experience with my life coaching. And you may go, why? <laughs> well, people don't like appearing on camera for all sorts of reasons. I sound bad. I look bad. I'm going to look fatter. People won't listen to what I'm saying. I'll talk nonsense. So it goes on. Yeah. And those are all limiting beliefs. So... Through my life coaching, I help people get rid of those limiting beliefs and therefore gain confidence to appear in front of a camera and do their video messaging or whatever they want to do, whether they want to make explainer videos or do video messages face-to-face. -face. I think that doing video messages, you need to appear because people will buy from somebody they know, like, and trust, which is another reason why you should be real. Well, it's the same kind of in any content that you produce. And we'll maybe circle back to the life coaching aspect of it and kind of overcoming your limiting beliefs, as you put it. You know, being a content writer in the marketing space, I'm all too aware of how important video marketing is, especially now since the kind of lockdown periods and all that kind of thing. And we've lost that face-to-face -face interaction with people video marketing just kind of humanizes you you've already kind of delved into why video content and you know not any video content but video content then consists of you as the business owner is so important to your overall strategy what are the biggest differences between video marketing for example and an advert you'd see on tv there is obviously a difference so i don't know if you want to maybe delve into that and like i said well we were chatting on friday you attended that little thing that i gave on storytelling and storytelling is my new thing and i had a, a really good couple of examples of how storytelling can be done in tv adverts and that kind of thing Absolutely. Um, but when you're creating a video of yourself and you're trying to obviously promote your business you can still tell a story you don't need massive big budgets to do storytelling so do you want to maybe just delve into the difference between like tv advertising and digital video creation for marketing and how you can pull that storytelling through into the stuff that you create well, television advertising is hugely 
hugely expensive. There are big budgets. You've got major teams. And funny enough, in the television field, it is sort of divided into three different areas. Advertising, making television programs, and then drama. And then, of course, there's making films. They're populated by different people. So... TV advertising is very edgy. It's got to be slick. It's just got to be perfect. And you've got the client and the egos of the advertising people. And there's a huge difference. And the budgets are enormous. Now, in video marketing, literally, I'm not joking, you need a camera. You need to look good. So you need lights. You need a camera. You need editing and you need to come across as genuine as you possibly can. So it is not expensive. I do say to some people that they should make explainer videos, which are short videos explaining what they're doing. So then it's not talking straight to camera, but they should introduce the explainer video to camera then say what they're doing. It'd be quite nice if they do their own voiceover and then concluded. But this is a whole new world. I'm not sure how to explain it. It's a revolution. And I don't think that TV advertising is going to disappear at all because it's an art form in itself. We're well-renowned in South Africa for making some of the best TV ads in the world. There's the essential difference. Okay. It's all about money, honey. But it is. I mean, everything comes down to money at the end of the day. But I think it's the availability of the digital space has kind of, to an extent, leveled the playing field, hasn't it? I mean, you've got me, a little introverted writer sitting in my bedroom that can now create video and I can push it out into the same, okay, not TV. I mean, no one wants to see me necessarily on TV, but you know, if we're looking on the digital space, I can push my video content out on social media and that's the same platform that TV ads, it's also being pushed out. And so it kind of puts you in that same space. It does. And, you know, as you're saying this, I'm thinking, okay, so this is starting off very simply. Mm. And I think you can already see that it's becoming more and more competitive. Now, Instagram is looking at video because video is the way to go. And they can see that from all the channels. So I'll be very interested to see what happens in the future. I think once people get used to talking to camera and doing what sort of thing that we're doing, I think in a couple of years' time, it will become very sophisticated. Let's see. Are there any drawbacks with video? Knowing just from doing an audio platform, there is quite a lot of back-end work that goes into it. So obviously with video, you've got additional things. You've mentioned cameras and lighting and all that kind of thing. Writing scripts, making sure that your lighting is correct, editing and all that kind of thing. It's all very time-consuming. So That's one drawback. Are there additional drawbacks to video or is it kind of like the answer to everybody's marketing issues? (laughs) You know, you could go from doing simple two-camera pieces or something a bit more complicated, like a corporate video. Yeah. We all know about corporate. You know, corporate videos fall 
at the lower end of the marketing space and they're longer explainer videos, that's more complicated. And it depends on the budget. Then you are going to need proper cameras, lights, and that sort of thing. Whereas if you're just talking to camera, and I think you need to be honest with yourself, if you're talking to camera, actually, does it work? Do I come across well? And if you don't, get somebody else to do it for you or just do a little introduction and a little closing, as I've said. And then there's another way of doing it. You can do interviews. And harking back to the storytelling, I say to people who are uncomfortable on camera, tell a story. And there's so many reasons to tell a story. First of all, if you sit through hours of lectures and all that, what do you remember? You remember the stories. Yeah. You know, I listen to my guru endlessly, the recordings, and when he comes to his stories, I just whiz past because I know them. Yes. I don't know the rest of the stuff. I have to listen to it again and again and again. So I become proficient. Mm. Whereas the stories you always remember. Yeah. And it's so much easier to tell a story. I'm coaching somebody at the moment and she was on the B&I this morning and then I phoned her afterwards. I said, you see what it is? You told a story this morning mm. because you know what's going to happen next in your story. You don't have to go, oh, think, think. What do I have to say next? You know what's going to mm. He said. And then, as you well know, you break it down into a simpler version of the three-act structure. Yes. You get your people in with a hook, you know, so – in your case, in content writing, it is the title and the first line. So you grab them, and then in the middle, in your body, which is act two or your body, you give, I say, one message, but you can give two or three messages, concentrating on how you are going to help them, what your product does, what their needs are. So you Think about their needs. What are their needs? How can my product help them? And in the conclusion, you just do a call to action or you round up. Like a news story. If yes. you look at the structure, and they're also very short. So a news story, they grab your attention. They talk about one thing in the body. They may give different aspects or do interviews with different people. And then... Their conclusion, they sum up. Yep. And they're short. Going back to the short stories, so to speak, <laughs> is that there are two reasons that you should keep your videos very short. What was it you said the other day that I said I'm going to borrow attention? Oh, flip. Um, I wrote it down. <laughs> oh, clearly, I need to pay more attention. Uh, maybe I should write that down. <laughs> <laughs> But you have to grab people's attention because now there's so much stuff, there's so much information, there's so much coming up on social media that if anything is too long mm. or doesn't grab their attention immediately, they will go on to the next thing. It's incredibly scary how the digital space has decreased our attention spans. I read something fairly recently. I'm at that stage in my life where 
recently could mean any time between like two days ago and 15 years ago. So I read something recently um, that was... Um, so you've got a good memory then, Ken. <laughs> uh, that said that the human attention span is shorter than a goldfish now. So if you can't capture someone's attention in something like three seconds, they're not going to consume the rest of your content. I've seen this working in the content space. When I started, the kind of rule of thumb was if you created a video, it could be the guideline was five minutes. But now speaking to you last Friday, you said one minute, 60 seconds. If you go over that, people don't have time. You know, the longest is three minutes. Hmm. But I say one minute, 30, one minute, one minute, 30. You know what it is? It's the elevator pitch. Yeah. So if we think elevator pitch, the elevators will probably start going so much faster that we have to to reduce what we have to say to five seconds. Yes, yeah. But you're absolutely right. And there are two reasons. People want instant gratification now. So that's one. And then secondly, if you're doing video messages, memory, your own memory, if you're going to say something that lasts for one and a half minutes, you will know what you're going to say. Yeah. And you won't be going, okay, what's happening after this? And then you'll make a mistake. And I say don't do too many takes. Because the minute you do too many takes, I've seen it with professionals, honestly. Once they've gone over take three, I go, okay, now we're in for the long haul. Because they start to get worried about where they made the mistake before. Are they going to make it in the same place again? It's embarrassing with a big crew around. Mm-hmm. Because if it's just you. When one other person, you're not embarrassing anybody. But the <laughs> same thing will happen if you're trying to remember. And, of course, you know my secret of putting post-it notes around your lens. Yes. If you're using a laptop, yeah. if you're using a phone or ordinary video camera, you can't do that. But short and sweet. Mm-hmm. And then apropos of what you were saying, the three seconds, do you know, it's also what you look like. When you meet somebody in real life for the first time, it takes seven seconds to form an impression. Yeah. On video, just as you've said, when you write something, it takes three. Yeah. It's really scary that we like have these snap judgments. And I was chatting to uh, someone a while ago on my podcast, and we were talking about how in the tech space, for example, it's fine if you wear black t-shirts and jeans, if you're the CEO of Apple, but that kind of hasn't filtered through to the rest of the corporate space or even into the rest of the business space. And people still judge you on your appearance and you could maybe be the next big entrepreneur, but if you've got like a tattoo like Mark Tyson on your face. People judge you on that without getting to know you first. And uh, yeah, appearance is always so important. Absolutely. I always say you wouldn't be talking to a whole group of business when with I love uh, Mickey Mouse or something. What's the latest? Oh, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I with, was told the other day by a 13-year-old that I'm old now because I asked them if they listen to Usher and they're like, he's very old. So I don't know what the latest is, but yes, let's go with Mickey Mouse. <laughs> so, and then with your cap back to front, you're going to get no traction from business. 
By the same token, if you're talking to a, a young group of people and you wear a suit and a tie or a suit and pearls, you're not going to get their attention. Mm -hmm. That's why I always say before you start making video marketing messages, you need to know exactly what your niche is. And you have to know that first because then you have to define your avatar. <laughs> first time I heard this word avatar, I went, what's that? You know, the scary <laughs> that flit around the sky, you know, causing mayhem and destruction, I think. I'm not sure what they do. <laughs> my kind of movies. But anyway, I found the very word avatar scary. But actually, an avatar in marketing is your best friend because that is exactly your target market. Yeah. So you need to know everything about your target market before you even start thinking about the content the tone, what you're going to wear, where you're going to film, everything about a video marketing message depends on your niche, which, I mean, I don't think any of us could sort of do anything without a niche, but <laughs> you've got <laughs> pretty much all of us know what our niche is. Yeah. But it's defining and narrowing down that avatar to know exactly what their values are, what their needs are, where they live, what their income is. Mm. It's fun. It's almost like creating a character for a television drama or a movie or a book. It's more complicated for a movie because you literally have to know how they hold their teacup. Do they their tea or do they sip it daintily? Do they have a tick in the eye? What is their baggage? Because you as a storyteller will know that your hero has internal issues as well. Yeah. So as well as all the obstacles your hero is going to face, he also has to come out at the end having fixed up whatever internal baggage or my favourite, the limiting beliefs yeah. he has. <laughs> but I mean, that's true of all marketing. I mean, you can't do any sort of marketing in whichever medium it is if you don't know who your audience is. And a lot of people forget to define who they are as well. You know, as a small business owner, obviously I am my brand, but there are certain aspects of my personal personality that I don't let come across in my business. So as you know, I like to brew beer, for example. So it's not like I'm now sitting in business meetings, knocking back a couple of cold ones. I need to keep to the person. We could have done that now. Well, we could have, <laughs> but it's only just gone midday. So, you know, let's have a little bit of control. <laughs> it's still and a it's school not Saturday. <laughs> Believe me, my dear, Saturday, isn't it weird? Saturday, I find it fine, but not during the week. I'm probably working on Saturday as well, but I might have, you know, the top past 12, I might go and get a glass of bubbly or gin. I hear you. Sometimes it's 10 o'clock and the sun's out and you're sitting outside and it's warm and flip, you know, why not? Just pop one. But somehow during the week, I, I think it's because I've got such a corporate background. I just can't. I can't bring myself yes. to do it. But we digress. You know, it's firstly, business people don't define their audience. And even if they do, sometimes they don't define themselves. I mean, is there a disconnect between 
your customer and your brand. And it's important to define both aspects of the story because I read a book by Donald Miller called Building a Story Brand. And, you know, he's all about storytelling and marketing. And you have to make the customer the hero of the story and your brand is the guide guiding them. So you're both integral parts of the story and you need to define both and develop the characters for both because you have the solution to their problem. Love it. What's the name of the book? Building a Story Brand by Donald Miller. It's a very good book and it helps you narrow down and simplify your messaging. I highly recommend it, yeah. We've kind of gone through the basics of video. What kind of in a nutshell would bump up your video marketing message to make it easier for someone to consume online? Now we've spoken about brevity, We've spoken about decent lighting conditions and making sure that you look presentable on camera and that kind of thing. We've mentioned scripts. Do you want to maybe kind of dive into scripts a little bit? Because a lot of people think, you know, making a video, you just kind of put your camera up and you start talking, but you can't do that because you don't know what you're going to say. You have to have some idea of the story you're telling or the product that you're selling or whatever direction you're taking that video in. So how does script writing work? You have to have an idea of everything you've said, absolutely everything. We've just been talking about structure. Structure is very important. You can't do structure if you just go off the cuff. I mean, I suppose some professionals, but we're not talking about professionals here. Mm. Some professionals can, can do things off the cuff. I say the best sitcoms are very carefully scripted. Mm. First of all, you have to know what you want to say. Then you must do it in your own way. I like to write a script. But interestingly, a lot of my clients don't. They want to write the basic points, which is actually, I think, better at the end of the day. It's entirely up to you. I could never, ever, ever do that in a million years, personally. I have to write a script, then I take short bits out of the script, then I make my points. But at the end of the day, what you want to land up with are your bullet points. And you have to know what you're going to say. You have to be very clear and you have to keep it within a structure. Sometimes I'm very clear about what I'm going to say. It's all written down and all that kind of of thing. And I go off at a tangent. (laughs) Does those work very well? But at least I have set out with a very clear idea of what I've got to say and where I'm going. If you go off at a tangent, those off at a tangent things are quite fun. I use them because I am talking about a specific thing. So I'm not sort of like suddenly talking, well, I did the other day. The Hardy Dolls flew over while I was doing a video message (laughs) and I did not want to stop. So I went on a piece that they should become our national birds. Has anybody ever seen a blue crane? (laughs) And then I carried on with what I was doing. You know, also, I didn't want to stop. The dogs were barking. And I said, sorry about this. We run a menagerie here. But I think you can hear what I'm saying. And I carried on. You know, so I promise you, the minute you stop, it's difficult to start again. So I said, try and do it in one take. Two, 
Give up after the third if you're not doing it well. Yeah. And do it another time. I personally like people to hold the camera for me. And I was doing, uh, and you know who holds my camera for me, our beloved yes. Michelle. Yeah. <laughs> our marketing guru. And I said, look, I'm not cracking this well. Let's just have a break. And I thought, okay, I'll do it another day. Mm. And then after having had a little break, I said, come, let's go and do those again. And we did them again. So if you have a deadline, don't leave making your marketing videos too late yeah. so that you can afford to say, okay, no, I'm doing this tomorrow. You must do that when you're writing. All the time. And it's part of my creative process, actually, is you come up with a draft or you come up with ideas. I actually did it this morning. I was writing a bio for somebody's website and uh, I'd interviewed him and I had all these notes and I was sitting here thinking, how am I even going to start? Where am I going to start? And what I did was I just put some ideas down and out of that it developed this paragraph and I went away, had a cup of tea, came back and I was able to then bend that paragraph into something that was coherent. And I went away, had a, there's a lot of tea involved in my work, uh, you know, come back from another cup of tea and it came out really well. And he's very happy with it. So you need to put this thing down because you can't force anything. And uh, I've had it a couple of times. I've tried doing um, some live feeds on Instagram. That's as close as I've got to video marketing. And you kind of go in with an idea and sometimes it comes out appallingly. But, you know, if it's a Facebook live or a, an Instagram live, not much you can do about that. But if you go away and come back to something that you are pre-recording or pre-writing or whatever, that's not live, usually giving it a break and coming back just gives your brain that space to arrange the little puzzle pieces into a way that fits, you know. If I'm writing and the muse is not with me, and I'm worried about time. I will write down my points so I know where I'm going and what I've got to say. And sometimes that same day I can come back to it. But sometimes it's sort of like, oh, boy, three in the morning. I know. <laughs> I know how I'm going to start this, you know. Yeah. And once you've started, I don't know if you're like me, but once I've written the first paragraph, I'm fine. You know, some people ask about writer's block and I'm trying to formulate a blog post about, you know, overcoming writer's block. But quite honestly, I think writer's block doesn't exist. And that's just my point of view, because you have an idea of what you want your piece to communicate. So just sit down and if ideas don't start coming, just start typing. Because once you start yes. typing the ideas will start coming. So, uh, you know, even if in that first session you sit down and you get like one sentence, it might end up being the basis that pulls your entire piece together. So don't think that you suffer from writer's block or whatever. Just sit down and start working. And, exactly. Uh, I love come. it. Yeah. One of my colleagues, a very well-known scriptwriter called Richard Bainan, and he said to me, forget about that first sentence. You know what? writers do is they sit and they worry about that first sentence mm. he said just carry on just write yeah and then you can put that first sentence back but you know what it's all a question of procrastination yeah 
I actually said to someone the other day, never tell a writer that there's no deadline because then we won't write. Because as a writer, we probably will find a million reasons under the sun not to write. It's the one thing that it, it brings in the money when we do it. But if we don't have to, we're probably not going to. So, yeah, it is procrastination. But depending on kind of what resources you find, I can't think of the guy's name, but he had a TED talk about procrastination and he kind of linked it to monkeys, um, like these cartoon monkeys. I'll have to find the link. I'll put it in the show notes. You know, the life of a procrastinator and all these things that you'd rather find to do. I don't know if it was that TED talk or if it was somewhere else, but it basically said that... Yes, that is a famous TED talk about procrastination yeah. yeah procrastinators tend to be more creative because they're not willing to commit their first thought as their best they'll let things stew a lot more and i've spoken to a couple of people about creative processes and a lot of them will do like initial research or whatever and again walk away let things stew and come back with better ideas so you know it's just managing the procrastination But I agree with you about deadlines. You know, reading somebody else's writing is a lovely thing to do. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) We've spoken about the actual forming of video and what it should include. But now let's talk about what you mentioned right in the beginning. Seeing yourself on camera can be super weird. And maybe because I have done the podcast I don't necessarily find seeing myself on camera, but when I started my podcast, hearing my voice, I found that really disconcerting. But obviously now most people wouldn't do a podcast before they go into video marketing. So you have to reconcile the way you sound and the way you look at the same time. So is there a way to fast track getting comfortable in front of the camera? How do you kind of bump up your confidence levels? And is there a way maybe to test the waters before going permanently online? The first thing I have to tell you is that your recorded voice sounds like what other people hear. (laughs) There's no getting away from it. People don't like the sound of their own voices because they've never heard their voices as other people hear them. True. Because you're talking so it's, coming through your ears and also the sound waves are sort of going around in your brain. Mm. So that is a bad piece of news. <laughs> but that, you can do voice exercises if you want to, and there's a very, very simple one. I'll tell you this one. Okay, I speak with a deep voice mm. because I speak at the back of my mouth. If I wanted my voice to be a bit softer, like I'm talking a bit softer now, and it's a very, very, very easy thing to do. I speak in the front of my mouth. So that's an exercise. There are also a whole lot of vocal exercises you can do, but I think it involves, well, I do some. I do train people to do some. But you sound to other people like your recorded voice sounds. Mm. What I say to people is once you know your script, once you know what you're going to say, Record your voice without any picture. Then you can listen to it and listen to it and say, okay, I think I'd better speak at the back of my mouth or at the front of my mouth, or I'm doing too many ums. You know, we're not doing Toastmaster stuff here. Mm. If you say, um. No, there's no um, one sitting there with a counter. (laughs) (laughs) 
do too many ums, then keep recording, keep recording, keep listening. Once you've got used to your voice, then I say practice in front of a mirror. But it's all about practicing. Practice in front of the mirror so that you can see what you look like. Are you approachable? For example, speaking with a little smile makes a huge difference to how you look and, weirdly, to how you sound. Hmm. Let me try. Okay, now I'm going to speak to you without a smile now. Can you hear that I'm speaking without a smile? Now I'm speaking with a smile. Can you hear the difference? Yeah. But it's that whole, um, you know, back back in the day when we worked in offices, you know, answer the phone with a smile because the people can hear it in your voice. Absolutely, yeah. And then I also tell people to do tongue twisters because no matter what, you'll land up laughing. (laughs) Know what you're going to say. Practice, practice, practice. Then forget about it for a while. Then do it. Up until the last minute, I'll tell you what, when I used to go to pictures at the SABC and I knew everything perfectly. Maybe they were running a bit over time. Then I think, let me just look at uh, my notes again and I'd go and do it in a paranoid state because I would think, oh, God, I don't know what I'm going to say. I've forgotten everything. So just leave it for a while. Maybe mm. read through what you're going to say. But, look, you know, they're, they're also different things. It's sort of like doing video messaging and also it's presenting using PowerPoints. That's a whole different story because that's a whole lot easier. Because your notes are there. But you don't want to be looking down at your notes the whole time. People want to know that you know what you're talking about. And if you're reading it or looking too much at your PowerPoint presentation, then it doesn't look as if you know what you're talking about. So that's one thing. And then you're going to be, as I keep on saying, stiff and fake. Hope that answered your question. Yeah, basically it's like practice, but it's also exposure therapy. Like the more you do it, the more you're going to become comfortable with it. But like with the writer's block thing, you just have to do it and it'll get better as you go. Well, this is what I teach as well. You know, this is coming to the life coaching part. Obviously procrastination, I teach Mm. how to get rid of procrastination. Not that I can always do it myself, but <laughs> I know the basics. Yeah. Look, no matter what, change is scary. And I think for the first time ever, as a society, we've had to go through change. We've all had to go through change. Mm. There's not one of us who's escaped. So even if before you were happy to sit in your comfort zone or whatever, we have all been exposed to change without exception. Yeah. But in life, if you don't change, you don't grow. So when people are a bit reluctant to go on camera or whatever, I say you need to make the change because you need to get your message out there. And people tend to say I'm not motivated. Motivation has nothing to do with this at all. You need to say, okay, I have an idea. I have to make the change. And what helps you or makes you make the change is courage. So you take your courage and then you act. And then guess what? Then comes the motivation. Yeah. To do it again. You've done it once. 
You've been successful at it. Do it again. Someone once told me that progress is better than perfect. So the perfection might come, it might not. But as long as you're moving forward and you are making your way towards whatever that goal is, whether it's making a million dollars or just appearing on a video, as long as you're taking steps towards that goal, you're moving. Progress is better than perfect. Absolutely. And when you are goal setting, you don't look at that big goal up there because Mm. it's too overwhelming. (laughs) <laughs> Boy, can that lead to procrastination and overwhelm. <laughs> what you've got to do is take small steps at a time. No. Okay, I want to get there in two years' time. What do I have to do in the next couple of weeks and the weeks after that? But small steps at a time. And then also reward yourself. Mm. Each step that you take successfully, you reward yourself with a cup of tea or a pair of shoes or something. (laughs) (laughs) Because it's like that old-fashioned thing that everybody talks about. You get to the top of Mount Kilimanjaro, whatever. The preparation has taken forever. You're up there for a couple of minutes. Yeah. You have to come down. So... The journey, it's preparation, it's taking the small steps, and you need to enjoy that journey every step of the way, hence the idea of rewarding yourself. Yeah, awesome. That's probably a good place to leave it because we have been going for quite a while already. I've got five quick questions to round off with a bit of a quick fire round. So question one, define success. For me, success is the four pillars of life. Have you got all four of them? Are you Mm -hmm. there? And it is health, wealth, love, and joy. So if you've got all four of those balanced, that to me is success. But success is also being prepared to make the changes that are going to fill your life with joy. Mm. You've got it from here till the day you die. What are you going to do? Are you going to sit around being miserable? No. Fill your life with joy. And one of the um, ingredients of joy is being successful Mm. and satisfied within yourself that you're doing the very, very best you can. Great answer. I love asking that question. (laughs) (laughs) Question two, what do you do when you're not working on your business? Now, I've found that most business owners are, even when they're doing random stuff that is not necessarily connected to their business, they're doing stuff that feeds back into their business. So not many people are able to really separate their business from who they are. So I'm interested to know what you do when you're not actually doing business stuff are you cooking for your business no (laughs) (laughs) well you you have to keep you have to cook to keep yourself alive so that you could work in your business (laughs) i love cooking for friends but not not just make it an every time so absolutely adore cooking for friends and entertaining friends so i tell you i 
love staying in bed on a rainy day, mm-hmm. having had a beautiful bath, and then I've got my day pajamas, you know, <laughs> then I put a little necklace and earring and lipstick, and then getting into bed and reading a novel. Oh. That I love. And then <laughs> I read, I garden, I walk. That's awesome. Those are three of my favorite things to do as well, reading, gardening, and walking. Normally I walk dogs, though. I read something once that if you see a man walking in a field by himself, that's weird. But if he's got a dog, it's all okay. So well, I, feel, see, I feel weird I walking by myself. By. So I will always have to have dogs. <laughs> cool. Question three. Is there a specific resource that you continually return to that you believe is integral to your personal development? Yes. I'm continuously researching. And it's so wide now, our choices. As I said, we're just showered with information. So happily, my life coach, the person who trained me to be a life coach, Dion Kronovald, he does a lot of recording of just one hour sessions that he does. When I see him, I just look at his recording. It fills me with inspiration because I love him so much as a human being and I admire him tremendously. So rather than spreading things too thin, I like to listen to him. But, of course, one also needs other perspectives. So where I might read some articles, and I'm sure you love him too, by Mark Manson. Yes, uh, he wrote The Subtle Art of Not Giving a... Dot, dot, dot. Yeah. <laughs> I love him and it, it just gives a different perspective. So, for example, if I'm writing an article, I will take three or four different sources, mm. let them mull around in my head and then write them. So I don't ever write something from one perspective, two perspectives somebody else's and mine. I like to get a mix and see, okay, so what actually works here? I research too much, unfortunately. Yeah, I find that as well. And if you look at my Spotify listening list, I keep subscribing to new podcasts, but then I never have time to listen to them. And the same, my watch list, I've got a draft email in my inbox that when I see an article or when I see a interesting video that I want to watch. I copy the link and I put it in there and you can scroll and scroll. That list has become so long. Like you say, the net is wide. There's just all this information, but time is not necessarily on our side to absorb it all, unfortunately. Well, thank goodness that you make me feel better. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I mean, it's true. Like there's just so much information. There's just so much information. And I'm very fortunate in that My job entails a lot of research, whether it's I'm doing something for a client or I'm creating something on my own steam, I need to refer to a lot of sources. And so I am very, very fortunate that I have a lot of time in my workday to absorb all kinds of information and opinions. But, you know, there's also only so much you can absorb. I know someone that used to listen to 702 24 hours a day because they used to sleep with the radio on because they believed that that 
information was like seeping into their subconscious as they were sleeping. But you need to give yourself a break as well. You need to kind of give yourself some space. <laughs> That's very weird. No, no, but they say so. They say so. For example, I said earlier, if I'm giving a webinar, I don't look at it the day I'm giving it until just before to check that everything's in or a couple of hours before to check that everything's in order. Mm. But what I do do is I go through it or if I'm doing a talk or whatever, I go through it the night before, just before I go to sleep. And apparently sinks in, who knows. My grade 10, or in those days it was standard eight, English teacher used to ask us if we were learning by osmosis. But uh, I think that potentially that subconscious is a, a powerful thing. And, um, you know, if you're doing it and using it correctly, you do have the ability to use it in that way. No, absolutely. Mm. Absolutely. Question four, uh, we were chatting about books just now and you said you like to have your pajama days where you lie in bed and read novels. So if all the books in the world suddenly spontaneously combusted except for one, what would it be and why? It doesn't have to be a novel, it can be any book. Well, I'll give you the answer about the novels. <laughs> <laughs> I'm devastated like I think most people, I think you're too intellectual to have read the Seven Sisters series. Oh, flip, my mom's just read that, yes. Yes, yes. <laughs> now, the tragedy is that the last one is just about to come out, and she died, Lucinda Riley. Oh. <laughs> so I hope... <laughs> Hopefully she managed to... Um... Round off the story. <laughs> well, you know, look, as a writer, both you and I know that you've got to have a, an end because almost before you start, what is the end result? Yeah. You know, what's your story about? And you need to know what the end result is. <laughs> so I'm just hoping that she works like a normal person, that brilliant woman, and that she knows that there is an end result. <laughs> anyway, it's... Such a difficult question. If Jen Sincero had written, well, I would like to take all of her books because she's sage and she's amusing and I just love her work. Well, that's not a novel. Okay, so I've given you one example of novels, the kind of novels, yeah. and then one about what I really like reading, it, and that's Jen Sincero. She's just... Is wonderful. she kind of on the motivational side or like business books? It's her books entitled You're a Badass. Oh, then, <laughs> that sounds right up my alley. <laughs> it, it is, it is, absolutely. And then you're a badass in business. Now, badass to us sounds as if you're fraught, you know, you don't yeah. know how to do that. But in Americanese, it is that you really know where you're going, mm. what you're doing and where you're going. Awesome. That's something for you, Jens and Jero. Cool. I'm definitely going to check that one out. Final question. What one piece of advice do you wish you had received when you started your business? I should have researched fully and understood fully before I started. So I had stopped producing it. Well, I, I still write scripts mm. and articles. But I had stopped producing television and 
I should have given myself enough time to fully understand the social media milieu before I went into it. Because I think learning as you go along is one thing. My goodness, in the television business, I certainly learned as I went along. <laughs> Somebody said, go out and do that interview. And I hear I was a little production secretary. I said, well, I, I, I don't know how to do it. I mean, I know what questions to ask, but it's just pretend, you know. You put a light there, you put a light there, you put a light there. You put... But I didn't pretend I knew. So I said to the cameraman, I know nothing. I'm just going to ask the question, where do you put the lights? And that has been quite an interesting thing throughout my life. If I don't know something, I always, always, always admitted it. I remember the first time I once went to do an in-studio drama at the SABC. And when I went to meet the crew, I said, have any of you done a drama before? And they said, no. <laughs> well, I said, I'm not right. So let's just go through it bit by bit. And, it, it, you know, it was absolutely terrific. Those chaps went up to take very high positions at the SABC, and I could always ask for whatever I wanted, and I got it. Just <laughs> by being, awesome. let's do this thing together. I went off at a tangent there. <laughs> It's all good. One of my uh, very first bosses used to say, you're never allowed to say, I don't know. Say, I'm not sure, but I'll get back to you. And I think that, I don't know, this might just be me, but a lot of people I've worked with, it's kind of like, well, I don't know. That's not my job. It's not in my job spec. Whereas as a small business owner, you have to do everything. And if you don't know, you have to find out pretty damn quickly. So that's definitely a piece of advice that I got very early in my career that kind of is kind of parallel to yours. Admit that you mm. don't know it, but don't leave it there. Go and find out. Exactly. But I think it would have been better to... In this case, find out in one block. Well, I don't know. Yeah. It was the same thing with television. When I first started with the television, I thought, what is this? And suddenly one day the penny dropped. That's awesome. This has been a lot of fun, Elsa. Well, thank you, darling. Follow the Business of Podcast on my website, megamillist.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe to the YouTube channel at Megamillist. Connect with me on LinkedIn, Megan Darcy, M-E-G-A-M-D apostrophe A-R-C-Y. Chat soon. <laughs>